Welcome to Seize the GM. I'm your host, Zended. I am your co-host, Jules. And I'm Garda Mojé. Have you ever had a great idea for a campaign? Do you have a group of friends who want to play an RPG, but you have no one to run it? Do you want to see what the world is like behind the GM screen instead of in front of it? Well, we're here to help you do just that. Each week, the three of us will be discussing various GMing topics, terminology, maps, atmosphere, world building, you name it. So sit back and relax. Let us help you. Improve your art of GMing. One show at a time. Better, better, better. And we are entering the banter segment. And welcome back to another episode of Seize the GM. It's good to hear everybody. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been a, a crazy month. I don't know about you guys. Month? It's a year. Well, maybe for you, but we oh, we no, should do a year in review. No, we can't do that. Not maybe cool. after, maybe next time we'll do a year in review. Let's do a fiscal year in review, which means we can stick it at any quarter at any point we want. <laughs> That's a horrible way to do things. No, no, I like it. I like it. You would. You I would looked. love. You would love making it difficult for me. I, I don't want to do fiscally anything. I just like maybe in the you know. So you're saying like the system that I'm developing that's based entirely on gap is something you wouldn't want to play? No. <laughs> I'm hardly interested. <laughs> oh my god, you guys are horrible, horrible. So, but also it's good to have Noel back as well because we've had a couple of times where Noel couldn't make it, and I know. I couldn't make it, and it's just been that whole, oh, for the love of everything holy, can we stop having craziness and just get to play games? I know. It has been crazy. You know, sometimes you just got to fade in and out of existence. You know, it, it happens. Oh, is that what it is? Okay, okay. Yeah. So that's I, I, what you've been doing for the last month? Yes, uh, I have been uh, unstable presence mm-hmm. in this reality and jumping into another reality as I continue to work on BookTube. Reed Richards is proud. I I see what you did just there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I see that. Mm-hmm. Outlining. Now, uh, past I, that one stage. <laughs> oh. Mm-hmm. Past the outlining stage. Okay. Man, I mean, he had it outlined good. like two years ago. <laughs> not, not book two. Not, not book, book two. two. He only had book one for the last like three years. Uh, you know, I went back through my archives. Uh, book one technically has existed in some state or form for about seven. Okay. All right. Well, you finally got it finished, and we were proud of you. Now it's mm-hmm. time to move on to book two, and, and maybe you can have that done in, you know, the next six years. <laughs> <laughs> A new high score. <laughs> well, that's the idea, right? right. You got to do better than last time. I'm keeping it pretty simple here. Well, hey, I finally caught up and watched She-Ra on Netflix. Uh, I was sick, and so I sat there and like stared at various and sundry things I could binge for a bunch of a couple of days. And so 
that helped catch up on that and Man in the High Castle and a bunch of other things, so I can talk about all of this now. Oh, is that what you can do? I can talk about a lot of things. <laughs> well, that's funny. Well, I, on the other hand, have not done... Well, I, I've had a secret project that now the world is well aware of. Is it secret if it's already in the feed? Well, it's not secret anymore. It was secret up until the actual pitch session dropped today. <laughs> I don't know. We'd kind of been teasing it so hard. It was, it was kind of difficult to miss. I know, but it's actually real and really real and happening. So... But what's really funny is, is I did actually sit down with everybody at one point and I said, you know, if while we're playing, at, at some point, if we decide that we're not having fun with this and we want to do something different, let me know. Because if that becomes the case, then what I want to do is I want to go ahead and maybe say, you know, we'll get back to this. Let's start something new. If everybody keeps having fun, we'll keep playing. And that's the whole idea is as long as everybody keeps having fun, because as soon as they stop having fun, why are you doing it? Makes sense to me. So I have already pitched them the, we need to try to see if there's a way to keep the energy level good for the game and if it ever drops then that's probably what we're going to end up doing is switching to another game and we'll go through the whole pitch session and everything else again but yeah it's real and it's happening <laughs> and I've actually got episodes all the way out through January, February, March March and we're recording Sunday, so I'm going to have like another two to three episodes. So we'll have somewhere into April or May by the end of the year. <laughs> so you've got more content coming your way. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've gone out of my way to make sure that we had enough before this whole thing started. To at least get to Mayflower's. To at least get to May flowers, yeah. yeah. There should be a floral theme with whatever you're recording now, so when it drops in May, no. May flowers as, as the theme. No, that won't happen. Not the game that they picked. There's nothing happy about it. I didn't say happy. I just said floral or floral. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing we're doing carrying. Yeah, you know what? It's already dropped. Everybody already knows. We're doing carrying crown. Ooh. So, yeah, it is a dark gothic horror thing, <laughs> which is not the one that I thought they were going to pick. I thought they were going to pick Age of Worms. Oh, my God. I have like I have a whole binder for just the Age of Worms game. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, it made me sad that they didn't pick that one, but it's okay. Instead, we're doing Carrying Crown, and we actually, after the pitch session, we picked up a new player 
so that by the time the first episode actually, like the actual first play episode hits, there's going to be another voice that wasn't in the original recording. Cool. So, yeah, we've got five players. And That's a good number. We've had one person that has had uh, the last session. He kind of couldn't make it, so he had to drop out for that session. Hopefully he's back this weekend. But, yeah, that's what I've been doing. I've been doing lots of that. It's been crazy. And everybody else has just been really crazy, too. But... Yeah, there's. I got no good segues here, folks. So we're just going to jump right into our illustrious main topic. Well, if you've been listening along, <laughs> if you've been listening along, you know that we've been talking about considerations for different kinds of games. And while we've hit fantasy and hit sci-fi, we've danced around what I think is the hardest one of these to do, which is a modern game and modern setting. And we're going to walk you through why we think that's a hard set of choices and how we all kind of frame those decisions with our table. Yeah, modern games are tough. I'm not gonna lie. I I've got a couple of other uh, ones, and yeah, they they can get. <laughs> it, well, it runs a huge gamut more than anything else. And trying to figure out where you want to run from simulationist to fabulist is one of the hardest decisions to make because you're talking about a game that either is right outside your window or is pretending to be right outside your window. And that means the most chances for failure, which is why this time, instead of looking at the setting first, we flipped it around to talk about the campaign flavor first. Well, because part of this also goes back to, don't forget, when we first talked about choosing which which one, either fantasy or sci-fi or modern, with modern, we actually set like a time frame in it, if you remember. Because modern could not just be that right outside the window, highly fantastical. It could be Cthulhu. Like mm-hmm. 1920s Cthulhu. That's still technically modern. I mean, it's only, it's less than 100 years old. Minus 100 to plus 25 is kind of where I peg modern. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that one. So it, soon it will pass into fantasy, (laughs) the original setting, the 20 setting will pass into that soon, like two years. (laughs) Yeah. By the time this drops, what I'm working on for Card Catalog is going to be out, and Castle Falkenstein is in what we think of as fantasy now. It's too far back to kind of fit within modern, Uh, aside from being steampunk and all of those kind of crazy questions you've got to have a recent enough feeling to understand that world yeah so if you get beyond maybe two generations back of your family you start losing the ability to have that visceral connection and it becomes more of an academic and analytic or or a, a narrative device over a setting yeah very much so very much so. I, I would totally agree with that. Because, yeah, once you start to disconnect from, like, oh, yeah, they didn't have cell phones. Oh, wait, they didn't have phones. 
I mean, all of us grew up with the concept of a telephone. I mean, none of us remember party lines in telephones. But remember <laughs> or actively used? Two different questions. But do you remember having them? We did not have one. Yeah. One of my neighbors had one. Yeah. But they were they were one of those things that it also depended on where you lived in the country at the time. But things like a party line, most people don't un- even understand what that means. But when I say that. But one of the questions to look at there is goes to this fantastical and modern set of questions as well, and why we kind of limit it to a modern setting being within that realm of uh, that framework. Yeah. Is do you want it realistic or fantastical, simulationist or fabulist? And, and that's not to say that a realistic campaign cannot have fantastical elements. I think one of the best examples of a realistic style game and setting that has fantastic elements is uh, TMNT and other strangeness. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. Mutant animals, immune animals trained in ninjutsu, are kind of. Not realistic? Yes. What? They're not realistic? Come on. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is totally realistic. (laughs) I can't even say it without laughing. (laughs) But the game setting itself is. Yeah. Yeah, for all that, having a mutant turtle is a little out there, as Noel said. The rules themselves were grounded and were realistic and tried to capture just what that would mean. That is true. That is very true. Whereas, you know, if you want to take that to the other extreme, where you have something that's way more kind of fantastical, is like pretty much any superhero game. I mean, that shoots it right out into the the stratosphere of fantastical because yeah, the world itself may be real, but you know, most of the things that you interact with are so not real. That's From, almost like you're basically kind of pulling in another setting into it. To a degree. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how it, it always felt to me whenever it was superheroes was it, it's just super kind of out there. Or another one, which is one of my favorite games that I always love to bring up whenever I have that chance, is uh, Immortal. <laughs> which every is chance you get. Every chance I get. Because it is a very modern game, but it is a high fantasy modern game. I mean, you're shape-shifting every, you know, you're shape-shifting animal, plant, mineral, uh esoteric concept like you know light or dark and you can become human (laughs) and you live in this like split world where you know you're there is this other part of it that is the real world and then there's the earth that everybody else lives in and yes you're a part of that world too but there's also something else and that one is way out there well, and I think that plays into a common theme we get when moving into the second consideration about the setting, the concept of a layered modern world. 
Because for all that we want to play something that resembles reality, very few of us want to play, you know, uh, a game that is about going to the office from nine to five and coming home and doing. Your I was going to say, I don't know. Do you do you know how many skills checks it takes to prepare ten ninety nine forms? Yes, I mean, yes, I do. <laughs> yes, you, you are asking the wrong person that one. No, no, I was just saying, it's like three sessions of just, okay, do this skill check, okay, now, now, do your spell check, skill check. And, I'm sorry, I'm having flashbacks. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, but that idea of a layered world, uh, whether it is with a slightly increased tech that you'd see in a near future kind of cyberpunk game, or with what is really common these days is that sheen of magic for urban fantasy helps really define what kind of a setting you're going to play it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, is, that is a big one, is trying to decide, you know, the, that type of setting that you want. Is, you know, is it superheroes? Is it, you know spies or is it you know that that weird like modern fantasy of dresden files or you know something else like savage worlds what people need to remember is that modern fantasy includes that the entire world of darkness and chronicles of darkness settings Mm -hmm. those are part of that and what you take for granted in the idea of a role-playing game with vampires set today is that that's a modern fantasy setting. Yeah, it is very much a modern fantasy. And what I do like about those two, campaign flavor and setting, kind of merging together here, is that depending on how your flavor goes, determines how kind of out there your setting can feel. You know, World of Darkness feels so gritty but magical because it's kind of based in this, this shadow-twisted version of a realistic setting, but it would feel very different if you went kind of fantastical modern setting and try to introduce the hordes because then you'd feel more like a superhero game than that kind of gritty fantasy setting. Yeah. Well, I think um, a good example of kind of the counterpoint would be if the Tomorrowland movie had been a role-playing game, Mm -hmm. which has kind of a modern-ish setting but has a more uh, swashbuckling, more high-concept setting. Yeah, And yeah, say the idea that uh, superheroes are a good way of putting this, the idea that there are heroic heroes, the idea that there are superpowers alone kind of creates a different frame of reference. And when we talk about what it means, when we talk about how to make these choices, there are more games that you have available in both licensed and unique settings and especially agnostic settings, to run. And that's part of what makes this hard. Uh, Noel, what are kind of your three favorite modern era games to run? Hmm. I am a huge proponent of taking the Call of Cthulhu system and dropping it into Delta Green. That is actually probably Uh, of all the favorite modern games. I, I really like Delta Green, although that also kind of ties in a little bit to the the span of what makes for modern game, because Delta Green and horror in general, I feel like, doesn't work as well nowadays 
with the kind of level of communication and tech cell phones offers and putting Delta Green kind of in that, that, you know, communication is still kind of limited, but there's, you know, you could jump on a computer in a library thing is kind of, kind of a neat way of handling that. Then, of course, you know, World of Darkness is a lot of fun, especially when you're, t- you know, talking about, you know, taking characters from the normal world and bringing them into the fantastical world while still wrapping them into the modern setting. I mean, players of our age do kind of have a soft spot for World of Darkness. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, and then there's the part of me that always wants to get around to running Mutants of Mastermind, but I just haven't done it yet. But I've made a bunch of characters for it. And there are even sample characters in the card catalog if you search on SeizeTheGM.com for Mutants and Masterminds showing how to make characters in that rule set. Yeah. Shameless plug finished. Shameless plug finished, yeah. Hey, more of those is a good thing. (laughs) Zen, what about you? What are three of your favorites? Oh, boy. I have to pick three? Just three. (sighs) But I love so many games. I do. Um, well, okay, at the very top of the list for modern games is Immortal. Hands down, without a doubt, that is my favorite. Just, you know, because I like, I like, (laughs) but see, I like fantasy. And that modern fantasy element is is awesome for that. Another one is, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with, actually, I'm not going to go with the classic world of darkness, but the new world of darkness in a lot of ways. I feel that that took some of the, uh, insane amount of like, Oh, I have to have, this book for this clan for this tribe you know it was like you had to have everything lined up to make your character and the chronicles of darkness made everything i like to use the term tighter because it didn't give you you didn't have to have 15 books to see what most of your options were. Now you needed like three and you could see most of your options. Most of the peripheral stuff was all flavor, which is one of those things that you can take the bits that you want, discard the rest and create where those gaps are with your own players and how they want to interact with the world. And thirdly, I have started to develop a very, very, very soft spot for fate. And while fate is a kind of broad, generic system, I think it plays so well to a modern campaign setting. Just overlaying those onto that rule set is going to be super, super easy. I've actually been toying around with the idea of doing a Blade Runner Fate. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) So 
near future ish, but like just rip the world out of the movies and drop it into that fate setting because it's very narrative to begin with. And fate is so narrative that it's easy to do that with. Well, I think we're going to have a much heavier discussion of fate in our next recorded episode where we look at kind of the real axis of, of some of the questions of narrative versus crunch and what that means that we've kind of danced around for two years. Yeah. But despite me trying to get you guys to you know work on a fate <laughs> setting for car catalog. <laughs> well, Hey, I've got, I've got a for, thing for now. So yeah, I've yeah, got, a, I've got months? a thing now though. My wife actually is the reason why we have I have that because she was like I would totally play in a Blade Runner setting and I'm like I can do that with fate. <laughs> well, I think I've already mentioned Tiam and Toss, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and uh. Strangeness uh, from Palladium back in the day. It, it's one of my favorite low power science based modern settings, and the. Let's be honest, early clunkiness of a mid-80s Palladium game, Yeah, really, it serves the world well, and it serves what it does well. On top of that, as far as other modern games I really do enjoy, I have found that over the years I, I will go back to uh, concepts in games like Innominate a lot for uh, the idea of that shadow world, which... In Nominee is a game about hidden angels and demons and, and what's going on in the world with their interactions. And it's a one of those mid to late 90s, fantastically rich settings, not necessarily fully developed sort of games. And then finally, at the end of the day, GURPS goes a long way because it has so many splat books to choose from. You can find something for everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day, if you don't know, even if you don't play GURPS, you pick up GURPS splat books for inspiration in other settings. Actually, yes. I had, oh man, uh, I'm trying to remember. I, I used to have one that I kept for the longest time. And I think I ended up having like two or three of them because, yeah, if you don't need the rules, if you just want like some inspiration, GURPS books are great for that. And what ends up happening, and this is kind of that, that kind of expertise issue, is something that is in the show notes where we talk about GM familiarity. And in a modern setting especially, your biggest thing to watch is that expertise check. More than sci-fi, more than fantasy, you're going to have players who know their stuff and yeah. know how it works. You've got to be comfortable enough either corralling the universe or with your knowledge base to have a group that may have a flicker that their suspension of disbelief kind of shifts for a moment. And you got to either trust them to come through it or you got to be comfortable enough to get through it. If you've got someone who has military training and you've got a military action that, well, their strategic plans just plain wouldn't happen because, it, it, no, no, that just doesn't happen. No one makes that mistake in 300 years. 
you're going to have a problem. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. It was so funny because I actually had – so in Immortal, this is one – the, one of the premises for making your character was you basically sit around and it's the group of you sitting around – you make yourself like a kind of a little bit of an idealized version of yourself. And then you are playing yourself in the game. That's kind of the first way they introduced it. And it was really funny because when, when I was doing it, like I'm like, Oh, well I can do this. I can do this. I can do that. You know, these are my stats. Okay. And I actually got to one and I'm like, well, I actually can't um, do it because I actually have less points than the baseline. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I wear glasses, so my perception can't be high enough, and I'm not going to give myself any extra things. He's like, are you fucking serious? I'm like, yeah, I I can't. I'm going to have those points to put in something else. And he goes, no, just give yourself no glasses and we'll we'll be good. I'm like, but you wanted me to do this realistically. He goes, I can't imagine that why we're having this discussion. I'm giving you a chance to not wear glasses. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, okay. And then like we got into the, like the skill section and it's like, oh, there's, you know, this skill, this skill, this skill. And then we got into like, like, oh, well, you were in the service. I'm like, yeah. He goes, okay, so what? Because, like, they have long arms, pistols, artillery. Like, they have all these, like, different weapon systems. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know how to use this, 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 this. I've got a pretty good score in this one, this one, this one. I've got a, kind of a, just a passing knowledge in this one. And when I was all done, it was like I had, a, I had probably two-thirds of the skill list. And I'm like, this just doesn't seem right, man. He goes, well, part of this is that you've had so much training doing very specific things. Well, and part of it is that because <laughs> well, because combat is often one of the main focuses of a lot of games, they spend a lot of time and attention on the combat section. Yeah. And so a lot of those skills that they differentiate out, you've had training in. Yeah. And if they had the same level of granularity in uh, social or mental pursuits, it might not have seemed so lopsided. Right. But see, uh, they do. They actually did. Their skill list is huge and massive. And so it was It was one of those things where it was like, oh, wow. And then like there was somebody else that was in the group that was like, well, yeah, I went to school for, you know, I'm like – I'm in college right now for an art degree and like they had all these different art skills that you can pick and, you know, like speech, you know, oration and like the skill set is very, very robust. Now, some of the other ones I had really low numbers, like ones. So today I learned that Derek is a min-maxed character. (laughs) I was when I was like 19 or, or like when I was like 22, maybe. Now, not so much. (laughs) But that just kind of goes to show what you've got to be aware of in choosing your game in that you've got players who are going to have a depth of knowledge that you need to be aware of. Some people can easily suspend disbelief. 
and can just jump into a game and just say it's a game I don't have to worry about, whether or not that's actually how you would go about doing this thing or picking this lock or convincing someone to let you through a door. Some people do not do so as easily, and you need to be ready for the ability to make a modern game reflect what your players know reality to be. Yeah, very much so. And and if they're they're okay with that, then you've got the makings of a good solid game. So, but I think you know we can we can keep going on this subject like we do all the time. I see like the makings of like three or four episodes just from like the last five minutes of conversation. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. and you can. <laughs> And, but that's that's why we like we always say, you know, we only talk about this stuff for about twenty minutes. So there's always going to be more that we can and, say. And we may and, we may come back later and discuss some of this in greater detail. But for now, dear listeners, find us on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, and especially on our Facebook group, and let us know what your favorite modern setting is and let us know what the biggest problems you've had to overcome are. We'd love to hear from you and we'd love to know how it is that you get around, especially these latter problems of potentially obstructive PCs. Yeah. Cause they, they, they will do it. <laughs> I've been one of them. I know. I know. So have I, I think we all have at some point. So, but Let's Not go ahead. Jules. Jules has always been a perfect example of complete suspension of disbelief. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> She's not here to defend herself. Yeah, I know. All right, so let's go ahead and roll on into stat blocks. And now we enter stat blocks. This is a segment where you can use something that we've created in your game tonight. Okay. One, two, three, not it. I'm sorry, the microphone breaking up. I can't talk. All right. That was fast. We both got you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> All right, wait for a second. Right. We've been practicing, Kevin. I know. Uh, fair point. <clears throat> the armor of spent kings. It looks worn, damaged, battle-scarred, and clearly stored improperly. Yet looking at the armor gives you a sense of hope, of determination. The armor has been seen in rumors, stories, legends and certainly myriad of myths. It has been at the front of, of many battles. It was present during countless passionate speeches. It has the sweat and blood soaked into it of those who right to rule was destiny foretold. It has held them closely as so many of them passed on to the next world. And yet, it was here. You can't even think of how it could have gotten to this point. But you, you could just take it. This is the caress that took the grand spear like it was nothing. The plates that deflected so many arrows and bullets. The cape that so many soldiers followed behind. It can only be worn by those who are on the path of righteous rule. And it was here, waiting for you. But 
you remember the cost. All who wore were challenged. It is, after all, a symbol of a ruler. If someone else but took it from you, they could rise to the top. They could rule what you would rule. They just had to kill you to take it, to make it their banner of righteousness. You look at it, and the weight of it sinks into the room. It's almost unbearable. But you could take it. Fun. (laughs) Fun, fun, fun. (laughs) I like it. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go next because I want to. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, volunteering. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, well, you know. See, I figured that, you know, since I do the whole next section, it's just easier for me to break it up a little bit. So, the Yule Log. The blowing snow caked on the front of the small cottage in the forest. The inside was a humble affair. A long table that would seat ten on wooden benches. The walls didn't have special things hanging, just a few decorations showing that it was close to the winter solstice. The fire was barely burning. There was only a single log next to the fireplace, and on it was a small sprig of holly, at least at first glance. The gathering of folks started to trickle into the cottage. As the first fellow came in, he kicked the snow off his boots and started to get his cape off when the next person came in, and she pushed him out of her way playfully. They both started to take items out of packs and such, animals and a few tubers. Once the next couple of folks arrived, it was obvious that they all knew each other. And then the couple of children showed up, and the cottage was full. The old man of the group bent down to pick up the log and held it reverently, and then he spoke. Another year has passed for this, my family. I am glad we could all make it to the gathering once again. As a place, this piece of the family Yule log on the fire, may it keep us all warm and bright. And with that, he placed the log on the fire. The runes flared to life as the fire licked up the wood. Touching them set the fire to burn warmer and pushed back the chill of winter. Then the table groaned under the weight of food and drink that appeared. All all said a small thanks for the bounty and for their family, both of blood and friendship. The feasting lasted for a fortnight, and the fire never wavered, and the food and drink stayed the whole time. Happy holiday, folks, and I hope you all had a great holiday season. Oh, I dig that. Nice. I, I I wanted something not totally dark and creepy. Well, well, like it, it's it, it's almost kind of like fey and feel and tone, you mm-hmm. know, which is kind of so dark and creepy, but still nice. But it's it's way more like leaning mm. towards mm. yeah being pagan, inherently <laughs> creepy, and I think you have uh, a difficulty in figuring out how to present it in a way that is not. <laughs> Shall we say, uh, hackle raising? 
what? <laughs> well, it, it it has the the feel and tone of like you know the type of fay parties that like you know you danced for twenty years and you came out and you had a great time, but oh my gosh, twenty years actually did pass. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it could be. But we it's... leave that up to you if you choose to use this in your home <laughs> game. That yeah. is the joy of the stat knock. Yep. Yes. Uh, speaking of. Let me tell you a little bit about Erica Obscuronis. Sometimes there is no catch. Sometimes you do catch a load. Erica Obscuronis has retired from a long life working for the government. She doesn't have any family you know of and, and doesn't seem to talk about any. You met Erica when you went fishing. She was there and didn't mind the company, lazily fly fishing to pass the time. And there's something calming about her presence, and you certainly caught your fair share of fish was an unimposing, unassuming, and comfortable company for your day off. And maybe you called her up, or maybe she was just there the next time you went fishing, but you've come to value her company. Occasionally there is even a nugget of wisdom or just an ear to listen to your own troubles. It's always nice to know someone who will listen. You never asked what her government job was or how she earned her pension, and something told you that you didn't want to. Her warm and open face with that reassuring timber in her voice was all you really needed to know when you were out there fishing. It's been a year or two since you first met her, but now she's invited you to a party at her house. She's having a holiday get-together, and and you and your friends have been invited. Thoughts run through your head. What do you wear to a house party with a retired government functionary? And what will you learn about her life from who shows up around the punch bowl? Fun. Oh, I dig that. Yeah. I like that. That is a good one. <laughs> I thought that we'd place. go with something, yeah. Go with the modern theme for the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just went holiday because, you know. Yeah. <laughs> if we had recorded this when we should have, it would have just hit. <laughs> <laughs> Technicalities and realities I know. in the way of the best laid plans. I know they do. So, let's go ahead and flip on over into our lexicon. Lexicon, where we give you cool words to help improve your vocabulary. Okay, this one is super easy, guys. Super easy. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Nihilism. Ooh, ooh, I know this one. I know this one. <laughs> That's why we're not going to go through the usual things. I'm just going to go through it. <laughs> the formal belief of the Russian rebels, the idea that life is meaningless and has no oh. inherent value. Actually, it's German. Oh, I thought it was like a boss from the game Hexen. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The definition, uh, number one, it's a viewpoint that traditional values and beliefs are unfounded and that existence is senseless and useless. And it is a also a doctrine that denies any objective grounds of truth and especially of moral truths. Oh, so it's like a Hexen knockoff game. Yeah, basically. It's basically a Hexen knockoff game. Um, and then there is a doctrine or belief that conditions in the social organization are so bad as to make destruction desirable for its own sake, independent of any 
constructive program or possibility. Such a delightful word. <laughs> it's, it's, it sounds like a good, fun, happy time. It does. But the his, and, and this is because of the history and etymology. I mean, it comes from German, which is, the word is um, well, I mean, nihilismus. It's a, one of those few German words that goes back to Latin. Yeah, and it is from Latin, which is nil, which means nothing. I feel like so, the web handle should now be in nil operations. <laughs> no. <laughs> you don't get to change that. <laughs> and the first known use of nihilism was in 1812. And now, here's the funny thing. So, we use, at CCGM, we use the Merriam-Webster website to get all of our words. And the popularity of where that comes from is on the lookup. So it's, it's, that's where the popularity number that I'm usually giving you is. It's how often that word is looked up. So this word in particular in our current, let us say, U.S. condition <laughs> it is in the top 1% of words looked up. Nice. Very nice. I mean, nihilism, the idea that life is, is meaningless, that there's nothing inherently meaningful, is one of those questions of identity that most people face at some point in their life. And, you know, nihilism is, is the part that says not only is there nothing there, but don't make anything out of it. Don't yeah. try. Um, and so it, it's one of those fun, fun. Yeah. We're talking about nihilism. Fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> we should start talking about nihilism being fun. Well, it's a set of philosophical questions. I think most people grapple with, even if they don't recognize it as nihilism at some point. Oh Yeah. Oh yeah, if you do any like soul searching. Soul searching, you will you will come to a point of what does it all mean? What is it all about? And at some point you do hit that nothing. It is about nothing. And nothing I do matters. And it's actually a great word if you're doing a lot of like uh, cosmic horror. Mm-hmm. Well, you see, and now you're making me want to change my closing <laughs> remark suggestion, talking about nihilism and existentialism. So now, now I'm wanting to change what I've. No, nope, you have to stick with with what you got here. I've already got it. Bless you. I know. So uh, let's go ahead and and hit that because we're we're bumping up on time here, folks. So I'll go ahead and go first. All right, get it out of the way. <laughs> uh, before we started talking about nihilism and existentialism, I wanted to recommend that you go watch one of the Indiana Jones movies, any of the four of them that are out there. It's a modern setting. It's not that much of a stretch, but a pulp or atomic age inspired adventure that has a clear cut hero and a clear cut villain is a refreshing change of pace from the morally ambiguous anti heroes for a new year. As of January 1st, 2019, all four should be returning to Netflix and available for streaming with one of the accounts. Hooray! I like all four of them. They're fun. Well, and yes. The shift from pulp to atomic in three to four is where mm-hmm. I think we get some of people's friction as they weren't ready for it. Okay. Different it's, story, it's, different set of discussions. We'll save that yeah. for some other time. Yeah. We're bumping up on time. Noel, what do you have to recommend for us? 
Uh, I want to recommend Warframe's latest update called Fortuna. I've uh, been playing it since the beginning of November. I was sick, so I didn't get to talk about it with you guys this last episode. But <laughs> uh, it is phenomenal. It's taking a set. I mean, this is probably should have gone better in the sci-fi setting, but it, oh well. <laughs> um, it's basically taking a setting that is familiar to the player base and introducing new types of characters that are more in-depth than what they've been dealing with before. Uh, before, there was always kind of these, you know, kind of noble, savage kind of uh, ideology people you're rescuing or, you know, these hidden people. And the people they're introducing with Fortuna in terms of character building is these are working-class people who are flawed, who have failed in the past to do things, and who kind of need the player characters in the setting to give them that kick in the butt to get them moving again. And it's kind of cool seeing a setting evolve over time, learning to introduce better characters that are more human, which is kind of ironic, given the setting. Yeah, right. Highly recommend it. I also recommend, and it'll be in the doobly-doo, but the song they introduced with Fortuna is, well... A sci-fi, super sci-fi setting is not where I expected to hear a uh, Chain Gang song. <laughs> oh, fine. There it is, and it works. It works really well. Oh, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. I like that idea. Right. Well, so I've actually been reading. I know, big surprise, me reading. Um, but I actually got introduced to this book from another show, and it is the World Builders Anvil that we've had both Jeffrey and Michael on, but they talked about uh, a a book called the Gazetteer Writer's Manual, and for those of you who know. The old D&D world of Mistra and the world Mistara. gazetteers that they did. Mistara, Mistara not Mistra. Whatever. There's <laughs> a big difference. Um, the, the two authors for this particular book were involved in writing a few of those gazetteers. And they talk about how they wrote them and how and what you should be looking to do as a gazetteer writer and I am about maybe a third of the way through the book and it is really good Zen is underselling this when he says a few, Bruce Hurd, who's one of the authors of that writer's manual, <laughs> yeah. more or less wrote the whole setting and is known for pretty much establishing the majority of that world's mythos. And if you read the card catalog and saw the loving detail with which I went through Mistara and the fact that the gazetteers had all of this wonderful information, yeah. you should know that I'm backing Zen on this, that you should pick up the gazetteer writer's manual today. It is it is actually a really really good book. Um, I I was hesitant at first because I'm like, ooh, ten bucks, but I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna do it because I really 
I want to read this book anyway. And it came really highly recommended. And I didn't realize who had written it until I started looking into it. And then I'm like, oh, oh, no, I, I need to get this book like right now. And I've been reading it on my lunch, on my tablet. And I just keep going through it. Um, page by page. And like, I like have my notebook next to me and I'm like scribbling. I like notes and stuff as I'm reading. I mean, that's how good this book is. So it's, it is worth every penny. And I think in, in the end of it, they actually even give you like a, a sci-fi, like a condensed version of a gazetteer for like a sci-fi setting in the book. So because they approach it from both um, a game design and from a narrative like novel writing design, which is why it's so well done because they're, they're approaching it from both directions kind of at the same time. I think I'm going to have to pick this one up. Yeah, it's, it is, it is really good. I mean, they, and they even talk about how, like, as a writer, you probably will never release your gazetteer. But if you do all of the work for it, it will be something that you could release. Because it works like a, a, a world Bible. I mean, as someone who has spent a lot of time working in world Bibles uh, this past year. Yeah. Yeah, that, that kind of appeals to me. Yeah, it's, it is good. Um I'm not joking. Like it, it is one of the few that I'm like, I am so glad I got this book. So, yeah. So that's what I got. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of, kind of hit that one hard, but yeah, it's it's good, worth every bit. Hey, so. thanks for listening along out there. We hope that you've enjoyed this entire series talking about ways to choose different games and different settings for fantasy, for sci-fi, and for modern games. And hopefully you'll pick up the Gazetteer Writer's Manual, pop onto Twitter, tell Bruce Heard that you heard about it from us, and maybe even show up on the aforementioned Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. Or, as you'll hear in the kicker, pop over to Patreon and drop a few dollars to seize the GM to help support what we do. In the meantime, it's almost 2019, and it's time for you to play a whole nother set of games. Yes. So, until next time, folks. See you in the new year. Bye! You can contact us or the show using Twitter, Facebook, or plain old email. Our Twitter accounts are at Zendead, at Jules Podcaster, and at 2050 Gardemanger. And the show's Twitter account is at Seize the GM. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Seize the GM. Or chat with us and other RPG lovers in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Seize the GM. You can email questions or comments to the show at admin at seizethegm.com. And if you have a few bills you want to send us, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. And we thank you.
for joining us for this episode of CCGM. Feel free to leave a comment about this episode on our webpage, www.seizethegm.com. Let the dice fall where they may, and we'll see you all again next week. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. All copyrighted materials referenced herein are held by their respective owners. No infringement intended and no claim of ownership is implied. The music for the show is Dreaming Spirit off the album Ghost Machine by the Enigma TNG. His music is released under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license.